we're going to be in the sixth chapter of Romans later, but we're going to extract two verses that creates a little bit of the context. The 19th verse, now back in the King James, they may have it in the New King James, it will not matter, it should read almost the same. It says, I speak after the manner of men. So Paul's simply saying, I'm kind of trying to make you uh, understand this. I'm going to put it in more of, you know, fleshly terms. He said, because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. In essence, Paul is saying, when, before you were saved, how many of you know when you were saved, the one thing you spent before you were saved, there's one thing that you specialized in, sinning, and you were good at it. Now, some were better at it than others, right? There's no doubt. However, the reality is we'd all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we were all sinners by nature. He said, so now, now, so what does now mean? Now a change has been worked. I mean, you know, that, that now was when you were born again. That now was when the Holy Spirit came into your heart and wrought within you a change. And even so, now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. There's that word holiness. We've been talking about it once again in the modern contemporary church um, and antiquated doctrine it's in my, my heart's desire that it resurfaces in me first, in my life, and also in the lives of the men and women whom I pastor. But now, 22nd verse, but now being made free from sin. I love that. Come on, I'm no longer a slave of sin. Come on, did y'all hear that? And become servants to God. I serve God, and I have fruit unto holiness. And the end is everlasting life. The end is everlasting life. I want to talk to you today about a sanctified life, a sanctified life through a call to holiness, a call to holiness. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We humble ourselves before you, and we're grateful. Now, God, if I can ask you one thing today, I would almost kind of replicate JoJo's prayer about anxiety and anxiousness. I'm not anxious to sell a house or anything, but I can be anxious born of the time that might be according to the practice of us getting out of here around noon, which is the typical pattern, knowing I have a word, feeling that anxiety to expedite this. I want to shake that off today. I want to I say this, this is more important. Fifteen extra minutes, God, past the noon hour, God, is more important than... Uh, Father, than, than me hastening through this and cutting it up and chopping it up. That's not the will of God. Father, you bless this time. So if, if you prepared my heart to share, then surely you prepared the people to receive. And so I pray today that those two things will meet. It's in Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen and amen. Now, if you're new to our fellowship, and if you, if you are not, I always try to have a brief review. Anytime I'm doing a series, my series are not planned out oftentimes in weeks and months in advance. And that, okay, here's a six-part series, a five-part series. I typically base it upon, did I get finished with the context? And if I didn't get finished with it, then that be, starts the series. And so to move it forward. I like it's on the screen. It's a call to holiness. It's a call that the Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Three weeks ago, what we talked about was we talked about the birth pangs of Pentecostalism. 
Pentecostal movement is the fastest growing movement within the body of Christ. It's actually, to be truthful, the only part of the body of Christ that is consistently uh, growing past the pace of just population growth. And so thank God for the power of God's Holy Spirit. Thank God that the promise is that He will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. But the truth of Pentecostalism in the modern era is, is that Pentecostalism was birthed out of the holiness movement. And the reality is, is that unfortunately in the modern Pentecostal movement, for whatever reason, we have, we have separated ourselves from perhaps the thing that created the environment for Pentecostalism to grow in the first place. And that is a sanctified and a holy lifestyle. Because I'm telling you, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you, when you're full of the Holy Spirit and God's going to work in your life, you will grieve the Spirit of God. God can baptize you in the Holy Spirit and you not have what we call, you know, the, what the, the, that first generation called a crisis sanctification moment. And maybe it is progressive sanctification. That's fine. But I'm telling you, if there is not progressive sanctification in your life and you begin to lay aside the things, the Bible says to lay aside the sin that so easily besets you. You will grieve the Holy Spirit until He will no longer work in your life. And the power of the unction, even praying in the Spirit, the thing that might have happened to you at an altar, at a camp, or a camp meeting, or something of that nature, I'm telling you, even that can be stymied within the heart of a believer whose life is not being sanctified before God. So um, as I'm, I'm just telling you the truth here today. So there's got to be a call to holiness, and we delved into that call to holiness a little bit deeper last week. I made a statement. I'm going to repeat that statement as a prelude to hear today's message. I said this, and I said, how could a doctrine? Now, listen, you've got to get doctrine in your life. Doctrine simply means teaching. You have to desire to be taught. And let me just say this. All doctrine to the believer is not found in the Gospels. I believe in the Gospels. I want to fall in love with Jesus. I want to see his miracles. John said this, his miracles were recorded that we might believe that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And that believing through him, we might have salvation through his name, right? So we believe in that. We believe in the Gospels. But how many know discipleship for the believer then goes into the epistles where Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, begins to take us into the mystery of Christ? You've got to set your heart to be taught. I'm telling you, I can be a teacher, Joe. Uh, others can be the, a teacher, Jace and Shane and others that welcome Sunday school teachers. But I'm telling you, you have to set your heart to be taught, to grow in grace and grow in godliness. If you don't do it, it's not going to happen. Some of it doesn't just happen organically. And just hearing a message once a week is not going to produce the growth that God desires to do in our lives. And that's true for all of us, right? Let's go a little bit farther. So well, the statement that I made real quickly was this. How could a doctrine, sanctification, that meant so much to that generation 100 years ago mean so little to our generation? And I think if there was one statement that you could extract out of the last two weeks that could mark you that you would not forget, it would be that statement. Because when you fail to look at what was a conviction of a preceding generation, you're going to make mistakes that the preceding generation was trying to teach you how to avoid. So let's talk about sanctification. You and I, what we have to do is sanctification. We understand that is that there is positional sanctification but the virtue of the blood of Jesus. We've talked about, I can't go back and re-preach that today. But there is also, we can say, progressive sanctification or practical sanctification where we live a holy life before God. 
where our life is changed. And in doing so, you have to understand a three-letter word. You've got to get to understand a three-letter word. S-I-N. Sin. We have got to delve into it. We've got to know it. We've got to understand. Did you know sin is defined by Scripture as transgression of the law? First John says that sin is the transgression of the law. How many know sin is even deeper than that? You say even deeper than the transgression of the law. Yeah, Jesus said it was. Jesus said it is written in your law this, but he said, but I say unto you. So he even said, let's take this for example. The one example Jesus used was adultery. He said, it is written in the law, thou shalt not commit adultery. But he said, but I say unto you, he that looketh upon a woman to lust in his heart, lust in his heart, he said he's committed adultery with her. Even though he may have never had physical contact with her, if he's allowed lust to reside in his heart until it goes to the place where it is, uh, you know, fascination and meditation and desire builds up, he said that becomes sin. The equivalent. How many know that's even an exceeding, uh, you know, doctrine that it exceeds what the law taught? And so we have to understand, though, there is transgression there. So the actual word in the, in the origin language means simply missing the mark. You could take a bullseye. Think about a bullseye for with a moment of time. And you have got all these circles, and then right in the very middle is the heart. That's the bullseye. Right? What's the bullseye? Sinless perfection. I'll talk about that in just a moment. Let I me mean, know that if you just miss it a little bit, you don't have to miss the whole board to miss the mark. You don't have to miss, you know, a, a long way. So you can be right beside the bullseye and still miss the mark. So that, in essence, is what sin is. That We understand that there are, there's a different layers of sin, levels of sin. But today, just real quickly, there's sins of commission, which we call sinful things that you do or practice. Sins of commission, correct? Those are the things that you might do that you know is sinful against the heart of God. But then there's sins of omission. Sins of omission are failing to do the right thing. Sometimes you can prevent and, and restrict yourself and restrain yourself from doing the wrong thing, but all the while, if you're failing to do the right thing, you're still sinning, right? And so that's why you've got to learn what sin is, and you've got to grow in it, because I want you to hear this today. Jesus' blood forgives us from our sin. That's a doctrinal truth. We're not going to debate it because it's established. Colossians 1 and 14 says that through his blood we have redemption from our sins, forgiveness of our sins. Through his blood we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. The blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin, correct? And with this though, church family, let me say this, in doing so our sin debt is forgiven. And when we confess our sins and we trust God for redemption through Christ. How many of you believe that God gives us His Holy Spirit? Right? The regenerating power of the Holy Spirit is received into our lives. Let me take you uh, this. I intended to use the board today, but I can't today uh, for the sake of time. But I believe that there's a change in our nature at that moment. Paul used this term in 2 Corinthians. King James says a new creature. Probably the new King James would say a new creation. He said, if any man be in Christ, are you in Christ today? If you're in Christ today, how many of you know that the Bible says God calls you a new creation in Christ Jesus? Old things passed away. The old Adamic nature, the sin nature inside your spirit has been removed because the life of the Holy Spirit has been received inside your spirit. 
So with this, let me just take you into an understanding sin. Let me try to help each one of us today. I'm not an expert on it, but I will say this. I've studied it enough to adequately share. I believe in the triune nature of man. They call it a trichotomy in the theological world versus a dichotomy. And I believe that when Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, he said, I pray that you may be sanctified holy. Sanctified holy. How are we sanctified holy? He said this right here. Spirit, soul, and body. God is triune in nature. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call it the Godhead as well. Some call it the Trinity. I simply call it the triune nature of God. He is Father, He is Son, and He is Holy Spirit. Correct? When He made man in His likeness, He made us in His image. And so therefore, we are a triune being. We are spirit, soul, and body. So to help us understand, the word spirit is pneuma in the Greek. Going back to the Greek, it means the breath of God. It means the, the, the life of God. How many of you know that when you were born again, the life of God entered you by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says, His Spirit joined with your spirit and declared you to be a child of God. God is Spirit. And those that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Or you can't enter into the kingdom of God. You, being religious is not enough. Making a mental decision is not sufficient. If you don't receive the breath of God in your spirit, then you're not saved, right? And so that's why we evangelicals believe in being born again, born of above, born by the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, that's that change of nature. You can now commune with God in the spirit. We can worship God in spirit and in truth. How many know my spirit is as saved as it will ever be? Right, it is. I mean, because it's made in His likeness. It's empowered by His Holy Spirit. And I don't sin in my spirit. But then the triune nature of God, there's soul. The word soul in the Greek, the transliteration is psyche. It's suchu or sucha in the, in the Greek. But since none of us are Greek scholars here today, I'll give you the transliteration, psyche. When you think of psyche, you think of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And most theological camps define the soul as the mind, will, and emotions. And so here's the reality. The spirit has already been redeemed. The soul, the soul can be changed. You can think differently, talk differently, and act differently. You can learn to cast down thoughts, sinful thoughts, sinful patterns, and you can replace it with a spiritual mind. Paul said you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My spirit's already been regenerate. He doesn't need renewing. But my mind needs renewing so that I can think upon the things of God. Triune nature of man, then there is the summa, which is the body, spirit, soul, and body. Now, body can be used both positively and negatively in Scripture because with our body we can serve God. But then there's the body or flesh. Flesh is usually used negatively, and it usually describes our carnal appetites. That's where, according to the Word of God, sin is condemned in the flesh. And so here's the key. Real, let's try to understand this. My spirit's been redeemed. Come on, I feel Jesus in that. I'm alive to God. I know the Father. Come on, Jesus said, he said, Father, I know you. And I want to reveal 
I want to reveal him to them. I'm telling you, he's revealed himself to me. I know the Father. He breathed on me, and I received the Holy Spirit. Like a balloon that was lifeless, suddenly the life of God was on the inside of me. That's what happened at regeneration. And then once I get saved, I go through a process of learning the Word of God, reading and meditating and studying upon the Word, thinking like He thinks, beginning to act and talk like He talked. Right? That's a process of change. It's a constant battle, but it can happen. But my carnal appetite, my sensual appetite is still bound to my flesh. My flesh functioned one way, and then I got saved. It didn't know it. It did not get the memo. Right? It did not. And it still desires the carnal things that it used to gratify itself with. So therefore, in the midst of this, in the seat of my decision, which is my soul, I have to make decisions. Am I going to feed the flesh or feed the spirit? Because if I don't feed the spirit and the, and the side of me that's uh, akin to God, my flesh will dominate me. My flesh will take me right back to the familiar paths of sin. It won't take long and I'll be right back. The sow that was washed returns to the mire. Come on, that's what the Bible says. And so that behooves us to know these things. Because only in doing so can we learn how to overcome. And I'm telling you, it, I'm going to show you in a few moments, it is the will of God. Here's what I've arrived, what I've learned through the American church. And I've been there myself, and I have to guard myself from going there even now. But we seem to want forgiveness for sin rather than deliverance from sin. I need to run just for a moment real quickly. Oh my. That's the truth. Let's just be honest. Is that right? That's what we want. We want forgiveness for what we have committed, but we really don't want deliverance from it that produces a changed life. We want the cycle of life because we've not changed our mind to say, you know what, I'm called to holiness. God called me out of the world that I would be distinctly different. And he produces such a work in me that I should be unrecognizable, changed by the power of God. I'm going to make a statement that's going to kind of agitate some of you real quickly. Because it's going to say, no, no, I don't believe that. God's will for us is... Sinless perfection. Now, you, some of you are going, oh, now, Pastor Brown, where are you going with that? That was a term that was used often by John Wesley. Sinless perfection. Well, is there a depth to that? Yes, there is. But what do you mean by that, Pastor Brown? Well, let me just show you. 1 John chapter 2. Let's look at one verse of Scripture. I'm going to show you this. Say, so, oh, no, now, Pastor Brown's preaching that we can be perfect. Well, maybe you've got to understand the context that that's being said. My little children, these things I write to you. <coughs> Just a minute. Can you, from the theological teachings of Pastor Brown, that says 1 John, not John Wesley. From the one who laid his head over on the bosom of Jesus, right, and heard his heart beat. What does he say? These things I write unto you that you might occasionally sin, that you might slow down the sinning process. I know y'all don't like to hear it because you look for an excuse. Well, I'm taking away those excuses today. Who's ever worked with sports? Come on, be honest. Basketball, football, baseball, especially those two. How many, let's go to basketball. That's JoJo's world right now. 
Jojo, when you work with Elijah, now when Elijah comes up there to practice, do you say to him, now, Elijah, I want you to aim. I know y'all saw that form, didn't y'all, right there, too. I know y'all saw, I felt that. Like, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's real, right there, that's real. So I want you to know that. How many of you ever, do, do you say, okay, Elijah, aim to miss. You ever taught your child that, aim to miss? Aim to get close. No, you teach him to hit it every time. Now, I'm not saying he's going to hit it every time, but you teach him to hit it every time. And that's the way we should live our lives, striving against sin. But you say, well, pastor, you're going to condemn that person has sinned. Well, there it is. He said, I write unto you that you sin not. That's King James English. This is New King James. He said, but if anyone does sin, you don't have to live in condemnation because you've got an advocate with the Father. So when the devil tries to condemn you and call you a sinner again, excuse me, out of the shadows comes the high priest, and the high priest says, no, wait a minute, I bought this one by my precious blood on Calvary, and he's not a sinner, he's a child of God. That's what the advocate does on our behalf. So my little children, I write unto you that you sin not. But if we do sin, so your mark, the goal is to be Sinless perfection. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. When you pray these words, how many of you have ever prayed these words? Thy will be done in heaven or in earth as it is in heaven. How many of you have ever prayed that? Well, let me ask you this. Is there sin in heaven? So that's what you're praying. You didn't know that you were invoking the power of God in your life to say, God, keep me from sin. I'm not, you say, well, pastor, what if I sin? I've shown you what you do. If you sin, here's what you do. 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all sin or to forgive us of all sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. So it does not condemn you to teach you to aim to hit the bullseye every time through the power of the Holy Spirit. So in our striving against sin, we simply confess the power of God's grace in our lives. I want you to hear something today about the power of sin being broken from the life of believers. I just believe that we have got to do a better job in the modern church of teaching our believers that you can overcome sin in your life. I'm just going to confess this today. I don't believe in once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I do not believe in once an addict, always an addict. I do not believe that. I believe in what I started this message out, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away, and all things are made new in Christ Jesus. I believe in a redemptive change by virtue of the blood of Jesus that forgave you of your sin debt, created in you a new nature to be able to worship God. And now by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome the things that used to bring you into bondage. You can. And there's, I don't believe there is a single lifestyle choice that you used to make that you cannot overcome because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. you believe that today? I believe that. And I'm going to teach it. And I think we need to teach people that way. Well, pastor, you're setting them up for... No, I'm setting them up for success. I'm saying you're setting them up for failure. Tell them they're always going to be sinned. They're always going to fall into that addiction. They're always going to have it with them. No, I'm going to tell them he that the son is set free is free indeed. You're not under the bondage. You're not under the obligation. You don't have to choose to sin. You can choose life. 
And you can live a life that's changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. For the sake of time, I would take you to Romans 8. But in Romans 8, you say, Pastor, what's the key component in this whole thing? The key component is the indwelling Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will dwell in you by the power of my Spirit. Romans 8 says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're none of His. But Romans 8 also says this. He says, by His Spirit... He said, we mortify the ungodly desires of our body or our fleshly appetites. What does mortify mean? It means put to death. And I'm going to show you in a few moments, and I will condense slightly today. I will show you in a few moments how you do it. And once you get the pattern down, it's what I tell kids when I used to teach them about basketball. I'd say, get the muscle memory down. Get it down. Once you get it down, you can be 50 years old, and it's still there. It's just there because you've taught yourself This practice, that's why the Bible says practice righteousness. Practice right standing with God, right standing and right living. It's more than just being right in right standing with God. That's where we're at in the American culture. We're teaching everybody that they're in right standing with God while we're not teaching them how to have right living before God. Come on, I want to have both. It's supposed to be one with the other. Not without the other. That's why in Romans 6, he said, you have your fruit. He said, you've got, you've got everlasting life dwelling on the inside of you. That's where we're headed is eternity with God. The fruit is holiness or a sanctified life. We live a life along the way. You don't have to live a life that looks just like the life you used to live before you confessed Christ. The only difference is you believe you now have a get out of hell free card. You don't have to live that way. But for whatever reason, the culture of the church is teaching men and women that. That's from the watchman's on the wall's position. That's what's happening. We need to reverse that because God wants you free. Let me show you something real quick today. Then I'll I'll, I'll expedite it. I know know some of you taking medicine and all that stuff. So let, let me show you something back to Romans 6. You turn there, but for the sake of time, you turn there. Out of the second, I'm not going to read it all, but let me let me show you this real quickly. I, but if there was a passage of scripture, let me use it for example. Let's call. How many of you want to be blessed by God? I, I, I am so grateful. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. I'm telling you, God loves us, and out of His kindness to us, He blesses us through His Son. Thank God for blessing. If I could show you a passage of scripture where in 22 verses there were 10 references to God blessing you. Would you walk away and say, man, God wants me blessed? Would you walk away from it and say, well, God said it, right? Would you say that? Or what if I took you to a passage of Scripture that talked about marriage and blessing on your on a husband's and wife's relationship, right? Maybe their communion, maybe even their children. Would you, if there were 10 references to it in 22 verses, would you say, that's the will of God for that? To, would, would you? Well, did you know in Romans chapter number 6, In Romans chapter 6, and we probably can't follow it. Did you know there are 10 references, distinct references to our freedom from sin? 10 out of 22 verses. I'm going to highlight them. The sixth verse says this, we should not serve sin. Man, I feel Jesus right there. Verse 7 says you've been freed from sin. Wow, listen to that. Verse 11 says you're dead to sin. Do you remember what your teenagers see? I'm kind of out of context now. I don't have these teenagers bringing all these cliches into the home. 
like me and Sherry did. But I remember that day when my kids would tell one each other, Amber was the best. You're dead to me. <laughs> She'd turn us like that. You're dead to me. You're dead to sin. When sin, you know what, she, Amber, when she would do that, it's because somebody was in her ear, one of her siblings in her ear, and she didn't want to hear it. She would say, you're dead to me. When that craving appetite starts to rise up on the inside of you and start to direct you down the wrong path that you used to go, you got to, by faith, come on, rise up over it and say, you're dead to me. Come on, you're dead to me. Come on, alcohol, you're dead to me. Come on, no craving desire for crystal meth, you're dead to me. Come on, that hateful evil spirit, that hateful malice confession that you used to, you know, uh, speak evil about your, your family, your friends, and talk down to them. Come on, you're dead to me. You're dead to sin. He said in the 12th verse, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Did anybody say, don't let it reign inside you? Do not. That's your responsibility. God's not going to do it for you. He's empowered you to do it. He spoke directly to you. You do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it have the position of authority in your life. Verse 13, neither yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto sin. 13th verse. He said, don't do it. Let's go farther. 14th verse, sin shall not have dominion over you. I'm telling you, probably that's the key verse in the midst of all this. It shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law. You're not under the, the powerlessness of the law. You're under the grace of God. You can overcome sin. He said in verse 17, you were the servants of sin. That's why I like that one. you got to catch the way he reads it. He said, you, this is the New King James, you were. See that little word? Were. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. Come on, let's sing it the right way for once. Come on. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to it. It doesn't have authority over me. And it doesn't have authority over you. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ right there. That's the power of his redemptive blood and his grace. Let's go farther. Verse 18, you were made free from sin once again. Verse 20, once again, you were the servants of sin. And verse 22 says you're being made free from sin. Ten distinct references to the believer overcoming sin. Can I ask you this question today? Is that the will of God for you to live a life that's free from sin? Let me ask a simple question. Is that the will of is that the mark? Is that the more pastor? What if I struggle? Then you confess. You ask for forgiveness. You keep pressing forward. You pick yourself back up. Micah 7 says, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will yet arise. You rise up and you overcome the temptation because the power of the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Never settle. Never settle for that sinful life and lifestyle. That it, when, you, when you settle, you've heard the voice of the enemy because the voice of God is calling you out. The voice of God is pulling you and saying, you know what, you can overcome. You must learn, I'm almost ready to finish, you must learn to discern sin inwardly and outwardly. And the only reason... Excuse me, the only way to discern sin is you have to understand the Word of God. You have to learn to discern. I wrote it this way. If I don't discern sin in me or around me, I will be deceived by sin and I will fall for its enticement. If I don't, Eve failed to discern sin in the garden and she fell prey to the enticement of the enemy. And so will you 
if you fail to discern. And your discernment has to be trained by the knowledge of the Word of God. By reading and praying and meditating on the Word. There's no substitute. Let me just say it again. There's no substitute. There's not a CD you can buy. There's no pill we can give you. There's no class we can take you through. There's simply no substitute. Zero. Absolutely none. There's none. Zero. There's no substitute for hearing and receiving the Word of God and learning it and applying it to your life. It, it, it falls or rises right there. That's it. You hear and receive the Word of God, it'll produce life change in you. You renew your mind, meditate upon it, and pull down strongholds, you'll produce a lifestyle that's changed by the power of God. You continue to feed your flesh and your carnal appetite, the things of the world, then there's going to come a day, and the thing that you were delivered from is going to master you again. And the very, the very thing that you graduated from in Wilburn, you'll be right back there, going through the motions all over again because you failed to exercise your dominion over sin. And I don't know what they're teaching in other churches, but I'm telling you, God did not design you for that. He designed you for victory over it in Jesus' name. Here's where I close. i got to close today. Certainly, sanctification is not just resisting sin. How many of you know that? But it includes practicing righteousness. It means living a righteous life before God. And this is our closing in today. And, and it is, there is, God has granted a righteousness in conversion, and we know that. We've learned that. We've been taught that. Because of God's grace through Christ, we've been acquitted of our sin. We're no longer sinners in the sense of that God has forgiven us of our sin, and we are in right standing with Him. But God also designs and expects of us to practice righteousness, to live a life that pleases Him. Thank you for that very weak amen across the, the body. One person caught hold of what I just said. God expects you. Let me ask you this. Do you put an expectation of maturation on your children? Now, me and Sherry's got two that's moving back in here in the next couple of weeks. Aaron, as he's finishing up college, and Alyssa, she's coming home. And I will remind them, as I've said before, y'all get to stay here. This is not your house. Hello? There's an expectation of maturation. They don't have a job. They are expected to get a job. Right? Come on. They're expected to mature in life. I'm not going to follow them around. Right? We've taught them. They've got to grow up and do the right thing. I'm not using them as a negative example. I'm just saying it's a positive thing. In the sense, you put an expectation. How many of you know that God designed good works for his kids? He designed for you the very instruments that you used to use to gratify your flesh can now be used to serve others and bring him glory. Let me close with this. Let's go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and we close in this. I'm going to show you. It would be wrong if I would preach this message to you and say, Pastor, how do I practice righteousness? You practice by petitioning God for his aid and his help, number one. Have I messed your theology up by bringing up an antiquated doctrine, sinless perfection? I know some of you are going, I'm still struggling with that, Pastor Brown. I tell you, set the mark high. Come on, you set the mark high. You set it high, you say, God... I'm striving against sin. If I sin, if I do, that's why it's the same text. Isn't that just like God? The way God wrote it, 1 John 2 and 1. Isn't that just like him? My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. Period. Stop right there. Christians want to run right to, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And we want to go right to there. But see, if we had stopped and paused long enough, how I many know the grace of God could produce in us an ability to overcome sin? But in the grace of God, if we sin, 
We have an advocate with Jesus Christ who is, come on, he is our advocate before the Father, and he silences the voice of the accuser today. Thank God for Jesus today. But I'm telling you, there's still the will of God. It is still the will of God. Whether you've attained it or not, whether you reach sinless perfection, I'm, not, I'm simply saying you get up every day. How many of you get up every day and say, God, I hope to only sin a little bit today? Is that the way you should pray? God, well, maybe not just the big sins today. God, I'm going to specialize in the mediums. You know, all right, God, I'm going to avoid maybe adultery, fornication this week. And, and, you know, and I'll probably just kind of, maybe I'll just kind of be in the white lie thing just a little bit. That's not too bad. Is that where we're, is that the reasoning that we have? Come on, get up in the morning and say, come on, God, order my steps. Father, work in me. I'm going to overcome as Jesus overcame, right? Thy will be done, Father, in earth as it is in heaven. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one, God. That's how we start our day. But, Pastor, what if I get agitated? Something? Don't give me that what if. He didn't say, but what he said, but if you sin, here, go right to confession. I didn't say wait till you come to church. Right then, the moment the Holy Spirit reminds you that you shouldn't have said that or you shouldn't have done that, you repent before God right then. You say, God, I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. The process of life. Ephesians chapter 4, man, we've talked about it. Shane's taught it. We've talked about it over and over again. It talks about don't live like the other Gentiles who live in the futility of their mind. A change has worked in the life of a believer, correct? Come on, how do you believe that? And so in that passage in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, Paul then begins to just show us. And he says things like this. Put off the old man, put on the new. That's something that every believer must do consciously every day. Now, you know, there comes a process of God where you're not necessarily conscious of it. It's just happening in you every day. Let me just give you an example. Many of you are consciously not stealing right now. There's expensive equipment in this room. There's an offering that was taken up. You didn't steal it. You could have, but you just chose not to. It wasn't even hard. Right? I mean, you know, there can come a process of growth in your life, the thing that you're so struggling to avoid right now. Come on, when he works in you, there may come a day when the thing that you used to just really struggle to do, you just do just It's the grace of God. I don't believe Samson struggled to tear the gate off the hinge. I just believe he went up there because the power of God, and he just ripped that thing off, threw it over his shoulder, and walked up and put it down. Come on. Let's go. Let me show you this. Let me show you Ephesians 4. I'm kind of in the 22nd verse. I'm going to have to go quick because this is the end. You have put off the old man. He said the former conversation, that's the old man. That old man is corrupt. He is. He's evil. That's your fleshly appetite. We're going to be renewed, the spirit of our mind. The spirit of your mind has got to be renewed. You've got to put on the what? The new man. Because after God, he's created in righteousness and in true holiness. So here it is. Let me show you the practical way to learn to practice righteousness. By the power of the Holy Spirit, here's what Paul empowers us, and he shows us. He said, every man put away lying. That's your responsibility. You used to lie, talk about people, things you got to put that away. And in place, what do you do? Speak the truth. Right? It's that that simple. The very lips that you used to speak lying to, God says, now speak truth. Come on, let's go a little bit farther. He said, and then he said, don't be angry. He said, be angry. If you're angry, don't sin. Right? How many of you know you can get control of your anger? I'm going to show you in a moment where God says to do with it in a moment. And definitely don't take it to bed at night. 
right? I mean, that's for husbands and wives. Don't give me this, I'm sleeping on the couch tonight. No, that's not the will of God for y'all. The will of God for you is to reconcile before your heads hit the pillow. That's practicing righteousness when you work through some things and you get through some things. Let's go farther. He said, then he said, don't give place to the devil. I know my hands, I've, me and Sherry, I was medicating the cattle. I'm kind of conscious of this. I'm going to bring it out. We was medicating the cattle yesterday, and I had some purple stuff on my hand. And as I'm preaching today, it's wore off a lot. But I just knew I was going to be pointing at y'all with a purple finger this morning. And as I hold the Bible, I see it there, and I'm kind of mind, reminded of it. And now that's all you're going to be able to see as I finish this message here today. But listen, look real carefully at this real quickly. So if, he said, don't give place to the devil. I think Shane kind of touched on that a moment. Don't give place. Did you notice out of all this that Paul mentions the devil one time? You spend your life getting to know him, making friends out of him. Paul addresses him briefly and moves on to the practical issues of life. That's what you need to do as well. Get thee behind me, Satan. I subdue you in the name of Jesus and move on. As I've said before, and I'll say it again, the man that I'll deal with, the challenging part of my life is not the devil. It's my old carnal appetite. He'll give me much more travel than the, than the, than the enemy. The, tw- the 28th verse, let him that stole steal no more. So, all right, so God said don't steal, so what do I do? Look at right there. So isn't this, the, isn't this the process of a sanctified life? I used to steal, now what do I do? I get a job. <laughs> oh, come on, people. Read it with me right there. Come on, read it with me right there. It's right there. Look, I used to steal, so I'm not going to steal anymore. What I'm going to do, I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to have something that God blessed me with, and now I'm going to learn to give. Right? That's practicing righteousness. That's overcoming sin in your life. Look at this one. This was a big one. I wanted you to see that sin is not just, you know, the, like adultery, fornication, uh, things of that nature, uh, drinking and, and drugs and all that. He said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. I mean, come on. It's time for a change right here. Right? And so, but what are we going to do? We're going to say good things, kind things. You used to say evil things. Now say good things. Speak life. You hear us say it all the time. We're going to speak life. I'll tell you this. I made this a rule of thumb about my children. And I'm going to say it to you, Dad. I know I'm in overtime, but I do not care. Let me say this. About any time that I ever spoke something in frustration, it's not that often because I trained myself. But if I did and I said something negative about my children, I went to prayer and I plucked that thing up in the name of Jesus. I cursed it at its root and I said, God, in the name of Jesus, I plucked that up. That is not true of my child. They're not going to be that. They're not going to do that. They're going to do this by the glory of God. So instead of, again, allowing those seeds to live, pluck them up in Jesus' name and replace them with the Word of God. Replace them with the Word of God. And he said, and so don't grieve the Holy Spirit don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You're sealed into the day of redemption. But what do you do? Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. What are you to do with that? Put it away. And with all malice, put malice, hatred out of your heart. Don't let it live there. It doesn't belong in you. Why? Because you're a child of God. Because you are a child of God. It doesn't belong. And in closing, Paul said this. He said, so what do you put in this place? Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted to one another. Let me say this. If it were not possible for you to go through life change by the power of the Holy Spirit, would it be in the Word of God? Would God have put it in there and said, but you know what? They're not going to be able to obtain it. I don't believe that. I believe that if we receive the call to holiness and we understand that holiness is twofold, it's a separation from that which is evil and it is a set apart for righteous living. And when we make that a part of who we are, 
I'm telling you, it will work a noticeable change, not just in our attire or standard. You know, we used to define holiness in the church by a certain look. You know, it was a certain dress. It was a length, and we made that the standard. But it goes, holiness goes far more than that. Now, it should include that. I believe that you evaluate everything from your clothing to things you might listen to, see, watch, read, every, all the way across the board, right? Why? Why? Out of fear? No, out of faith. I want to be pleasing to God, and I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what he said? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, you can't sit back and watch movies filled with cursing and filth and fornication and all that junk and that garbage. Come and not grieve the Spirit of God. That's just one weak example that we probably all can relate to, right? You will grieve the Holy Spirit in your heart and life. And then when you need that power to overcome, that power may not be present because you've grieved God's heart. I'm telling you, a call to holiness should be the call of our day for the body of Christ. Does that make sense to us today? I'm not coming to condemn anybody. I'm coming to teach you. I'm trying to teach you today. Come on. You feel that? Y'all feel that? You feel that right there? I mean, I'm saying I'm trying to teach you. If Elijah was right beside me today and he's a basketball zealot now, I would say, Elijah, get your feet right. I'd start with his feet. I'd start, i say, you got to get your feet right, shoulder width apart, foot slightly extended on the right side. It's the power base. It's got to come up. Your main right leg's got to go from here to the elbow. You don't shoot like this. You shoot like this. How many of you know naturally you come up like this? It takes discipline to bring it in. It takes some of you living life like this. Come on, you're, you're aiming. You're wondering why you're shooting 30% from the free throw line. You're like Ron Brewer. Remember old Ron, you know, Ronnie Brewer like there? His elbow is out here. You're wondering why you're shooting 30 Get your elbow in. Get your, bend your knees just a little bit. You need arc on the basketball. Come on, you got to have a follow-through. We teach that to our kids. Then we come to church. We think it's somehow wrong that we teach you how to aim for the bullseye. Get up in the morning and aim for the bullseye. Aim for the bullseye and say, God, if you're working in me, I can overcome because Christ is dwelling on the inside of me. I can live my life to the glory of God, and I can live a holy and a sanctified life. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, and I know I've kept you a long time, but it's been the right.